Jared and I have been together a number of times. We've been at conferences. Uh, I've spoken at conferences he was attending. Uh, we've had a beer or two together. And I said, come on this podcast and let's talk about everything. Crop insurance, decision-making, money. And I know you're saying right now, wait a minute. I normally tune into Extreme Ag because I like the agronomics. And I like the fact that Chad Henderson's is out there sending it. Well, that's cool. But you know what? If you don't handle the business side of agriculture, you will have no farm to go out there and send it on. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. More than just a podcast, it's the place for insights and information you can apply immediately to your farming operation for increased success. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Ag Explorer, with innovative products that improve fertilizer efficiency, protect yield potential, and reduce stress. Ag Explorer helps growers maximize field potential. Find out how Ag Explorer can help you get more out of your crop at agexplorer.com. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey there, welcome to another fantastic Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. We're talking today about your money, about your business, about how to thrive this year so you can go into 2024 bigger, better, stronger. Got Jared Creed on here. Jared Creed does some advice for our man, Kelly Garrett, one of our founders. So we're talking about business. We're talking about stuff that you can do right now, practices you can implement business decisions you need to be staring down to improve your farming game. Remember, it's only a lifestyle. It's only a legacy if you make it profitable. Creative thinking for 2023. That's one of Jared's speech topics. He goes on the road like I do and speaks at uh, agricultural business functions. So he's going to tell us what he shared this winter at his uh, agricultural meetings where he was a guest presenter Creative thinking for 2023. What's the? Are we going through the calendar? Or are you just going to tell us the first thing you let off with at each one of your conferences? <laughs> well, first off, thank you, Damien, and thank you, Extreme Ag, for the invitation to come back on. I think this is actually the second time I've been on with you. You've been first on the Business of Agriculture, my podcast, and you've been on the Cutting the Curve at least once or twice. So I think you're right about that. On mine, we talked about... Does your farm need a CFO? So if you're a podcast listener and you're looking and you like the idea that we're covering business topics, go on the Business of Agriculture. That's my podcast that I do away from Extreme Ag and type in, uh, does your farm need a CFO? Answer, yes. And we did that about a year ago with Jared. And he talked at great length about what a CFO does. A CFO is not a bookkeeper. A CFO looks at big picture finances. And we went through all that. So anyway, then we were on here and I can't be honest with you, I don't remember exactly the topics that we did. So crop insurance, money, uh, the stuff at the business, grain marketing, let's face it, it's not what most farm people love to do. Most farm people love to produce crops. They like to drive tractors. They like to go out there and get their hands dirty. But the hell of it is, this is a business. And we talk about it all the time, you and I. Um, what's the first thing you told folks when you said, we're going to talk about creative thinking for 2023? We need to make it to 2023 to be there in 2024. And I think you already made mention of that. It's it, it's so important to recognize and acknowledge and almost admit that we are in unprecedented times. Now, granted, there's been numerous unprecedented times, but that seems to be the new norm. Uh, change is the only norm that we've become accustomed to here in the last several years. And to your point about, you know, successful businesses and operations that are growing and taking care of their business, they're, they're seeing their business grow, but it's creating more financial risk. It's creating more financial challenges that they have to be on top of their game to maximize their opportunities with all the work that they put in. It's not blood, sweat and tears game anymore. It's bankruptcy or be very, very successful. So maybe just a, a very quick background, Damien, for listeners who haven't, uh, you know, ever heard you and I speak before. Uh, you know, we run JC Marketing and Ag Financial Services uh, based out of Hudson, Iowa, by Waterloo, Cedar Falls. Uh, have an office over in Western Iowa as well. We work with about 60 different farms throughout primarily the Midwest. That footprint now does reach over to Michigan and Indiana. Uh, and into Nebraska, up to the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, and obviously plenty of connections with ag producers throughout the rest of the states. But our main job is kind of what Damien alluded to, is that we are a, a more or less the hired COO and CFO for the farm. 
um, you know, our friend Kelly Garrett says it very, very well that there are operations that the CEO should never be holding a steering wheel. There's more important things to tackle. And uh, ultimately, most guys want to go enjoy that physical aspect of it. And some of them just need to at least have an outside team member looking over the financial piece, making important business decisions alongside them. And that's kind of our role. Uh, you know, we're, we're not a grain broker. Uh, we're obviously not a grain buyer. We're not a banker. We run very intensive software to allow up-to-date financial information for the farmer at all times. You know, we strive to have an updated projected income statement, balance sheet, cash flow, you name it. The farmer has access to that at all times. And that obviously starts from understanding cost production. We don't have to guess about that anymore. And that allows us to furthermore make smart business decisions from a marketing standpoint, crop insurance standpoint. Uh, you know, speaking of crop insurance for years, uh, you know, I've, I've been around the crop insurance industry for a decade plus. Uh, and it's an imperative piece to the overall risk management picture for the farm. And actually excited to announce that, you know, going into um, this year, uh, decided to get into the crop insurance space, but we will not be an active insurance agency until 2024. Uh, but we are very excited about that. We provided service to agents of the producers that we work with for years and decided that we wanted to go down that path on our own as it is. You are so, going to be you are going to be a crop insurance agency one year from now. Uh, yes, we'll be active here this summer uh, with the intent that we will have um, you know a significant uh, a significant amount of the producers we work with mm. uh, have actually been in my ear to go ahead and get in the space because like I said, we're you know respect to all the agents, hundred percent respect to them, but we've been providing, the guidance to both the producer and the insurance agent on the decisions to be made on the farm and decided from a business standpoint for us, kind of operating on the premise of less is more. We don't have the desire to go out there and work with a hundred plus producers throughout the Midwest. We don't right. advertise, we don't cold call. The, the closest thing to advertising that we would do, I suppose, is talking to you on this. Right. So and you're going to operate on referrals. You were, you were some of the 60 farm clients that you have doing their, basically, like I said, I think it's cool to say for the 60 farm clients you have, you act in a role between COO, chief operating officer or CFO, chief financial officer. Most farmers certainly of a certain size would, or even of any size would bristle at chief operating officer. I'm like operations. That's what I love to do. I like being out here doing operations, but you, it doesn't mean that you're telling them how to plow, how, how to spray, how to plant, whatever. You're more operations. You mean the business structure. That's more of a coin term from numerous of our clients of how they see our role on the farm. So again, yeah. I don't want to turn this into some advertising session, no. uh, but that's what we do. Right. Uh, we are heavily focused on long-term profitability heavily focused on leveraging things when it makes sense, uh, playing defense when it makes sense. And, you know, it's a very unique timing for when we're talking about this, that specific to like the land market, opportunities are starting to present themselves left and right. And I think part of that is because the world that we live in today, specific to interest rates and money flow, a lot of the investors that have, found themselves in the ag space in the last couple of years or stepping away looking for other opportunities that perhaps a, not necessarily a better return, but a safer return because you sit across the table from most business savvy individuals that are non-ag related. They would look at the risk that the producer takes and the margin that is created from that risk and they would laugh at it. Uh, that's the unfortunate piece about agriculture. It takes a lot of work. It does take, um, you know, being lucky here or there and being around to maximize your opportunities when the opportunity presents itself. Well, you just said right there, though, is uh, something that you and I and Todd Thurman have just uh, been on that same topic multiple different times. The margins for the capital deployed are poultry in general. In general, you you have a lot of you have a lot of capital at risk. You have a lot of capital in play, and you don't have that bigger returns in agriculture. I mean, it's that's 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 not a secret. It's just that somehow we think it's that way everywhere else. And to the outside investor, the same things you just pointed out. They're like, 
like Todd Thurman always points out, wait, I'm going to put $5 million into this hog operation and I'm going to probably be able to generate between four and 7% returns. Why in the hell would I, I could put in the money market and, and not have the environmental, not have my neighbors complaining, you know, whatever. So it's, it's, it's really remarkable to me. And so the same thing. So the point you're making is if you're going to have low returns, let's make sure there's at least a positive return. Yeah, there can be great returns. Don't get me wrong, but you have to be in a position to maximize those opportunities. And I think the last couple of years is a great example. 2014, 15-ish through 2019, it just sucked. It sucked to be in agriculture. But the individuals who found a way to continue to be cash flow positive, whether that was price or yield or a combination of both, uh, they really had an opportunity to build a working capital position first and foremost that allowed them to take on additional growth right when things were getting very, very hairy, you know, kind of 2019-ish. And then things started to change. Call it a cycle and ag, call it what you want. Uh, from a production standpoint globally, from coming out of a trade war, coming out of COVID, coming into an inflation environment, Ukraine and Russia blowing up, it created a situation that if you took care of your business to five years prior, you had growth on your farm. You might not have sold your corn or soybeans at the highs. You might might have left some, you know, in hindsight money on a table, but you were definitely making money on a larger size operation. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the ebbs and flows. And right now the idea is to maintain the money that has been made the last couple of years to make sure that if 2024 throws us some very, very ugly curveballs, uh, we're going to be sitting there in a in a good position to jump on the opportunities that I really do feel are going to come around in 2025 and maybe not even maybe a little bit earlier. All right, well, let's talk about the times that we're because again, extreme ag people are not the way that ag people in general are nobody in ag in general the the ag the general ag producer wants to pretend they're just barely getting by plays the poor little farmer game and all that stuff that you and i've been around our entire careers uh, you know i was around since the time i was a kid and god knows in the 1980s there were a lot of farmers that didn't make any money but the people that listen to this they get it it's a business and we can admit 2022 record farm income, 2021, amazingly good farm income, 2020 and 2019, a lot of federal monies was thrown at federal, federal monies were thrown at this. We had $51 billion of federal money, I think in 2020, might've been 2019. I can't remember now. So the point is 19, 20, 21, 22, there's four years for sure. Maybe even 18 with some of the programs. So 19, 20, 21, 22, there's four years of really good. The last two being amazingly good. When people try to pretend that they haven't made money in the last couple of years, okay, then maybe you should be out of this business. I mean, let's not be mean here, but if you didn't make money and you're in crop production in the last two years, you it's time to sell the farm, rent it to somebody else. Yeah. I, mean, I hate yeah. to say that, but it's, it's been amazing. There's a lot of truth to that that last comment about if you didn't make money the last couple of years, maybe it's not your fit. But I do think you have to realize that there are still a, there's still a segment in agriculture out there that maybe Mother Nature dinged them, right? Uh, or some unforeseen circumstances that there are still some very tight books out there. Well, I mean, we also know that specialty crop got hammered more, but, you know, corn, soybeans, and wheat generally in 2020 to 2022 was remarkable. Yeah. And we're not being insensitive. We're just simply talking about the money in the business. If you're, if you're, if everybody else is making really good money in those years and you're not, it's time to do a little self-analysis is kind of the answer here because it may not ever be as good for the next decade or two, it may not ever be as good as 2021, 2022 were. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yes. And I, a lot of the winter meetings that I spoke at this year was geographically around a Kansas City chief fan base. And I happen to be a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I couldn't help but use the analogy that if you didn't have Patrick Mahomes going into the fourth quarter, we will be in trouble all the time because our defense is terrible. Right. One of these days it'll be better. So I think about that. It's a four quarter game. And if we can get into the fourth quarter with the lead, what do you do on defense? 
And maybe try to play a little bit of prevent defense. You try to keep the ball in front of you. Try to keep your eye on the prize, which is the win. And that's kind of the mindset that we're taking going into 2024 of what defensive situations can we jump on to create to to more or less remove the bad risk that the farm is exposed to all the time and put ourselves in a position to jump on the good risk opportunities that can still come around. So there's a lot of meat on the bone that goes into that and the decision-making from crop insurance, from grain marketing, from managing your interest rate exposure and keeping cash flow in satisfactory ways. Uh, but that's the general premise that we want to make sure that no matter what comes our way in the next 12 to 18 months, that we're staying in the black. And I, I don't think that that's going to be a common theme, especially if this inflation world settles down and North America returns to producing the, the potential risk of back-to-back -back bumper crops. Nobody throw their hands in the air on that comment, right? Uh, we've got a long ways to go in a growing season this year. We're not even talking about 2024 at this point. But American agriculture is very good at doing one thing. The best thing they're good at doing is growing too much. They react to the market uh, in a way that ultimately creates too much pressure uh, long term. And if costs don't adjust with your revenue, that's where the issue lies. All so right, I, wanna... hope, I am hopeful, Damien, that the, the, the potential collapse that everybody wants to talk about in the commodity space, it hasn't happened. No. Maybe it ain't going to happen. Maybe we've created a new shelf, a new plateau of higher commodity prices. But what we obviously have to be careful of is that relationship from costs coming out of the inflation world relative to the revenues that we can generate. They still have to marry up. I don't care if it's $4 corn or $8 corn, $18 soybeans or $10 soybeans. I know that the risk on the lower end of that is that our input costs, our land costs, equipment costs, things along those lines are never going to drop at the same speed that we always have the risk of the raw commodity that we produce, that we have the risk of that dropping. All right. So what you just said is interesting. Generally, what happens is commodity prices start dropping and then because we have a supply, plenty of supply, and then... Uh, on the global market and then the input prices don't come down land prices don't come down uh well there's some people that think they never come down some people that are some people that are young think they never come down but some of us that have been around know that they, they land prices do come down and then there's the input stuff so what's your message when you got done talking about your kansas city chiefs analysis i figured your analogy i thought you were going to tell me if it wasn't for an amazing quarterback that's like almost unmatchable in, in his style of game, uh, you'd be screwed because you're not playing defense. I thought you were going to tell me that as a farmer, unless you unless you think you're Patrick Mahomes, you better play defense. I thought that's the analogy you were going to go with. Ah, close enough. You know, look, our, uh, our um, <clears throat> thought process in trying to make sure that we navigate here in the next 12 months in as efficient way as possible it's, it's critical to understand that revenue is just math. Input and expenses is just math. It's a simple middle school algebra equation. And that means marrying up what revenue you can accomplish worst case from your crop insurance, how your grain marketing decisions play a role in conjunction with your crop insurance understanding that once you get the crop in the ground and the planter has went through the field, you are now guaranteed bushels and the farmer is buying, you know, no, uh, no ill feelings here, but the farmer is buying a subsidized insurance policy yep. that oftentimes provides the capability of locking in a worst case five to 10% return. And again, subsidized by the government. Now find me another business in all of America that has that type of tool. Now, I get it. Jokingly aside, you know, there's banks that get <laughs> that get, uh, get bailed out. And other organizations get bailed out. Yeah. But it's critical to understand the math. I, I, I 
kind of gotten tired and despise the idea of know your costs, know your costs. Mm -hmm. No, it's more so stay on top of your costs. Mm -hmm. Because in last year, if it's not a good example, I don't know what is. We do an intensive analysis of years worth of input transactions. You know, if, if mama went and bought a new pair of shoes for the kid to play soccer, we see that transaction. It's a family living expense. If they go fuel up the, the tractor to go plant, we see that fuel, we see their seed, we see their chemical, their land, so on and so on. We're constantly staying on top of not only what money we have spent in the past to create an accurate budget, but then track those actual expenses versus that budget. So as costs adjust and as a growing season progresses and yield prospects go up and down in relation to your crop insurance and as markets go up and down, you're constantly afforded the opportunity to look at your farm the same way you and I would look at a bank account. Mm -hmm. Who would do business with a bank account that you log into your phone to see your account balance and the bank says you have approximately $5,000 and $10,000 of cash in your account? Who's going to do business with a bank in that way? Yeah. Why you mean, you mean that you mean you, you mean that it's not exact enough? The point is, you should actually know the real numbers. Yeah, you, there's obviously some uh, some wiggle room in there as the growing season progresses, but being able to track a farm's revenue on what we consider in the ag industry, uh, especially in the merchandising world, on a mark to market basis, we're marking the books daily. The market's open every day of the week, basically. Yeah. Marking the book based upon what is sold, what isn't sold, what type of revenues are potentially associated with outside money coming in, whether it be government programs or crop insurance, and constantly stacking up that revenue versus that cost. And then, you know, where the, you know, per se, where the magic happens, if a producer, 5,000 acre farm, views that real analysis any given day, the markets have moved, they've changed their yield projections, they know their costs. Also in that 5,000 acre farm is looking at a million dollar profit projection. Okay, what did I spend to get to a million bucks? Yeah. I'm probably talking about 15 to 20% return if I'm clearing that amount of money. Mm -hmm. Where else are we gonna go do that? Mm -hmm. And not to say that the farmer ever goes down this path, but I bring it up oftentimes that what do we deserve versus what the market can bear? Mm -hmm. Do we deserve to go make 50% on our money? If we did deserve it, everybody would be doing it. So a lot of times our goals are somewhat focused on just a simple flat cash return on investment. I'm putting $1,100 on, on a table this year to grow a corn crop in Iowa. Can I go generate $1,300 of revenue back? 1100 costs, 1300 revenue. What's my return? It's not quite 20%. Yeah. But it's certainly better than burning through cash and burning through equity and losing money. So by the way, when you do this analysis, there's a whole bunch of folks that don't know whether they're going to spend $1,100. And then but let's just say that let's go with that number. And that includes cost of land return, right? That's everything. Yep. Yeah. So 1100 bucks. And so you're saying, all right, once we're at that cost, 1100 bucks, um, <clears throat> then the issue is how much more, well, how much do I want to make off of that? So if you were an investor, are you, you're trying to create the mindset of the investor. If I gave you $1,100 across all every, you know, acre I had, I would want this much back come uh, fall. Is that what you're saying? By, by yeah, November, I yeah, want this much. Yeah. I mean, more or less, if you have positive cash flow, if you have good working capital, things are going to take care of themselves. Are you going to look back in 20 years to say, oh, I could have made $300 an acre, but I made $200 an acre. No, you're mm -hmm. going to care about what the balance sheet says. So right. it is kind of leading a horse to water to at least be educated on a, in a very precise fashion that when you're making actual marketing decisions, you're making cropping decisions, you're looking at real numbers. Mm -hmm. You're doing due diligence right? Due diligence is not a strength of agriculture, mm -hmm. at least on the business side. Agronomically and extreme ag, it's a huge strength, right? All kinds of due diligence is done. Yeah. But from a due diligence on the business side, it's because people want to grow more and more crop. Mm -hmm. and they enjoy that aspect. And oftentimes, you know, there's an old phrase that's always stuck in my mind, and I hope I don't jack this up, but I think it pertains to agriculture really well. 
spend as much time researching an investment, spend as much time researching investment as the time it took you to earn the money you're putting into that investment. Yeah, Think about that in agriculture. Yeah, because most most people don't they they don't do that. Uh, so yeah. yes, so as much time on where you're going to deploy the investment as you took to earn the money for yeah. the investment. That's and also, we've had a huge implosion of good money come to us in the last couple of years. Hmm. Are we spending and allocating the right amount of time to determine what we need to accomplish in the next year or two? Creative thinking for 2023. So I want you now uh, to tell me the one thing I wrote down here was, and I don't know if this is in any given order. All right. First off, first rule of all business uh, it should be to live to fight another day to survive. And I know that when things are up, as they have been in ag the last several years, but you know, you run your own business. I've run my own business for three decades. I can tell you that I know the ups and I know the downs. And I know that there's been you know quarters where there was zero revenue and, and you're just you know uh, <laughs> up against a wall. So survive, live the fight another day. So the first rule is always, what is it going to take? And you don't want to have a survivor mindset because that keeps you from being creative and flourishing. But it is still always in the back of your mind. You want to be here next year, the year after that, the year after that. So you don't want to play defense all the time, but you got to play defense to actually be there. Right. As in, in the current environment that we are in, what we've experienced the last three months, what I expect to experience the next 60 days getting into the growing season, there's high probability that the farmer has had the opportunity or will have the opportunity to pull just enough levers to do just what you talked about of live, uh, you know, survive to fight another day. But by doing that, you're pulling the bad risks off the table. As in, it's as simple as I want to make this amount. I want to make this amount of money. Yeah. What does it take for me to do that? And now you're starting to talk about situational awareness, scenario A, B, C. If I do this, what's the result? If I don't do this, what's the result? Here's the here's my my punchline to that, I suppose. In today's world, pertinent to at least the corn market, the average producer can probably for market, give or take 30 to 40% of their crop, of their anticipated production, in conjunction with a good insurance policy. And I don't care what happens, price drops. Yield is devastating. I don't care. They're going to be okay because the entire revenue picture is now good enough. And here's one example. It takes a little bit of thought. Maybe guys are going to have to rewind and listen to this again. But there's a lot of opportunities that embedded with your crop insurance, you are able to forward market enough grain at a certain price that it drives the price needed on the balance of your crop down below where your crop insurance will protect you. You're bulletproof. All right. You just, just said right there, you just said right there, essentially I can fix, I can make it, I can guarantee myself that the worst I do is break even. Or better. Or I don't better. like to talk about breaking because we want to talk about a positive return and then right. identifying what prices do we need to accomplish that. And then creating a game plan from there rather than saying, Oh, corn's up three yeah. today. It's like your yeah. joke about so-and-so yeah, yeah. and, and other conversations. We don't need to talk about daily movements. We need to identify what our price targets need to be based upon what our business demands. By the way, at Jay-Z Marketing and Ag Financial Services, are you, you're not, you're, you're not a broker. You're not the one that actually, you just tell them you should, you should be setting it up, setting it up and selling at this. Yeah, and ultimately we're having those communications with the producer throughout the year, and there's oftentimes we find ourselves acting upon the conversations that we've had and reporting to the producer that we followed up on what we talked about. So we carry, for a lot of producers, a little bit of a, like a limited power of attorney within our contract with them, that am I going to call you when you're in the middle of the field and you're busy fixing a hydraulic line and saying, hey... I want you to call the elevator and sell 10,000 bushel of corn right now. And here's why. No, we're having that conversation well ahead of time. Oftentimes there's offers that are working based upon the discussions that we've had. 
market gets there, it executes great. And other times the markets are very, very volatile uh, and we don't actually have offers working. We, we act kind of on behalf of the producer to a certain degree based upon the business goals that have been set forth. But again, no, we're not a broker. We're not a commodity broker in any way, shape, or form. No, and you're, and you're going to be now moving into an insurance situation. And that was because clients actually wanted you to do this because you were already pretty well advising on this, on on how to use the insurance packet programs to guarantee break-even or, or, uh, or a minimal amount of acceptable profit. You already were already doing that. The, the unique piece about crop insurance, I think, is probably common knowledge, but it's the same price everywhere you buy it. It comes down to service. And I, I think we have um, a unique approach that's not patting ourselves on the back, but a unique approach to the risk management space in agriculture right. that we're combining a three-legged stool. You know, we're eliminating the need of dozens of individuals that walk through the farm door a year. We're helping the farmer bring it all together. And ultimately those decisions are made in tandem. Yeah, your your situation is that you already know what the numbers look like. You're already basically a financial advisor and an operational advisor, and now you can say, "And we want to, we think you should integrate with this crop insurance." How, how much variation? You know, I've always wondered this. I speak to con crop insurance groups. I know a little bit about it. They talk about you can guarantee this much, this much, or this much. Why the hell wouldn't you just go ahead and buy the policy that guarantees you the most? Is it really that big of a difference on premium price? It depends where you're at, but yes, there are times where it becomes actually cost prohibitive. You know, that's that's probably from just a perception of the expense that gets put on the table, but that's when it also creates the, the need of linking it with marketing to find what are my other alternatives beyond just crop insurance to achieve the same thing that crop insurance might do for me. Uh, I mean, you get, Damien, your listeners are obviously from the Delta to Canada, I'm assuming. Right. Uh, you get into parts of Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, and such. It's not hard for a guy to rack up a crop insurance bill of over $100 an acre. And then you get into the breadbasket, like Minnesota is the cheapest crop insurance there is from a corn and soybean perspective by a mile. I mean, a guy in, in Minnesota is probably uh, spending. 15% that of their neighbors to the West and all the way down in the far South. Hmm. They really not have crop failures in Minnesota. Is that why? Uh, not as much. I mean, you take away a lot of hail risk, a lot of wind risk, drought risk. I mean, yeah. similar to Iowa, yeah. uh, certain parts of Iowa, I should say. Right. Um, but, you know, Nebraska has it all. Hail, yeah, right. drought, bugs. <laughs> you name it i got hung up i got hung up i think it was in uh one of those states nebraska i think it was may have been south dakota and it was hail and i mean honest to god hail. It was, it was it was nebraska and i had like pull over and i'm like where does come from it's like almost like a plane drove over and just dropped ice cubes on me it was something hey uh about the money stuff a bit. so creative thinking for 2023 you haven't told me that it's all that creative you just told me okay have your defense and then have your insurance etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you you know every meeting we've been to start with your cost of production start with your cost of production you know and and let's say more backward farm types never really know what their cost of production if you're listening to cutting the curve you probably are right there you know what you're paying per acre to get something produced etc so you're forward you're ahead of that game what's the next thing that the, that the creative thinking needs to come into play to uh guarantee a prosperous 2023 damien creative thinking is ultimately tied to having situational awareness and being able to measure different scenarios and outcomes that that doesn't happen on the average farm they make a sale all right or they decide not to make a sale it stops right there there's not another step one two three and what has to happen now to achieve the goal it's ultimately looking at the finish line versus getting to the finish line and going and meeting with your banker and accountant to find out how you did pet peeve of mine 100 right there spend millions of dollars to go Deal with the accountant and banker one time, perhaps at the very end of the year to say, well, here's all the work I put in. What are you going to pay me for? How did I do? Uh, I, I despise that effort. So the creative thinking is constantly staying engaged and understanding the marketing with your crop insurance and making sure that 
you know, a piece, a little, maybe not necessarily all that creative, but avoid interest as much as you possibly can this year. If your listeners are still sitting on old crop supplies, they better have a damn good reason why. At that point, it might just be gambling. We have tried and tried and tried as fast as we possibly can to liquidate last year's crop so we can operate on as much cash as possible through the 2023 year. Okay, so there's, there's, by the way, there's, there's an interesting thing right there. Let's just go ahead and talk about that one. So uh, there's people that, uh, you know, love the idea of held grain. It's like cash in the bank. Okay. And and I've heard people, and and there's also, that's maybe an older farmer mentality because the reality is right now, if you're using, if you're using any levered money, you know, I get notices from farm credit. I think we're at 8.85 or some crazy thing, eight and a half to 9% on operating money. So you've got to sometimes convince these people that that held grain is at bare minimum, if you're using operating money, costing you about eight and a half percent. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, just do simple math here for a second. Let's just say you're carrying on average a million dollars of operating money. And at today, like seven and a half percent, a million bucks is in essence paying a little over $200 a day of interest. So a million million dollars of operating at what percent was that? Seven and a half, seven and a half to eight. Yeah, it's 200 bucks a day. So give or take, so 73,000 bucks. How many acres do I have to have to carry a million dollar operating note? Mm-hmm. It's not that much. And so all of a sudden, let's just say it's 2,000 acres. That right there, I mean, there's 36 bucks of just operating interest. Mm-hmm. We had producers last year that spent as much as 60 to $70 an acre in interest. There will be operating, not mortgage, just operating total total interest, total interest. But there will be producers in 2023 Mm -hmm. that will likely incur closer to the the complete cycle from Mm -hmm. the first day I buy an input to the last day I walk that grain off the farm. uh, They might spend as much as $80 an acre on just interest. Mm -hmm. That's tremendous amount of money. Yeah. And that can be the difference between making money and not making money. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's that's one of the pieces that there are times to leverage cash, and there are times not to. So maybe a little creative piece is that long term debt that's paid that's at a lower interest rate. Guys are kind of gung ho to pay that debt off. Maybe this is a personal opinion. No, I don't. I don't think that's a time to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe pay ahead a little bit here or there to keep your interest down, but generally speaking, now is the time to be stockpiling the cash. Yeah. So you're not giving it to the bank. Right. And another piece of this that I'm going off on a little bit of a rampant here, uh, Damien, but a lot of transition is happening within farms right now, and the elder generation has still not came to a conclusion with the younger generation on what that transition actually looks like how everybody wants to do it. And instead what you have happening is that there's money that the elder generation has that should be leveraged. And instead the younger generation is going to the bank and borrow money and that money's gone. It's not staying within a family. It's a family operation. Right. Why are you pissing money away to somebody else when you had the capability of doing it all in house? So you are doing that because the older generation is defensive and saying, man, I don't know. No, I'm not, I'm not taking sides there necessarily. Right, right, right. Just, you're just saying, you're the saying fact that you... they can't get together. Yeah. They're afraid to have that tough conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just point blank tell people says, I don't care what to think about it. You got to sit down and have that conversation. You want me to help facilitate it. I'm all about doing it. And it didn't matter maybe at 1% or 2% operating money or 3% operating money or wherever that, whatever our low was, but when we're at eight to eight plus percent operating money, the, the, this, this is a tighter thing. You just told me about some interest loads. That's something that, uh, that I think goes back to situational awareness. Situational awareness is being aware, you, you know, every meeting you and I've been to, you know what your production cost is? What's your cost of production? this old fossil of a professor from Purdue screaming and yelling that at a meeting five or six years ago. And anyway, I thought, good God, are we still in 1977 where people don't really know that? Maybe we are. Do you think that most operators put interest in as a cost of production? 
less than twenty five percent. They don't think they don't think of it because they know diesel because they see the bill come in for the diesel, or they know because uh, they went and whittled uh, the co op down on the shuttle of glyphosate. They know that they don't think about interest as something that's a cost of production, but it absolutely interest, is. Interest, a return to management, mm -hmm. uh, property value, and freight is still a big issue, especially in today's world with what diesel costs are. Uh, there's a there's a long list of expenses that happen on a farm that are oftentimes overlooked. And a lot of those expenses, David, come from that shoebox at the end of the year. Here's all these expenses that I had to keep money away from Uncle Sam. Yeah. If he spent the money, it's still an expense. You know, right. it has an impact somewhere along the lines. It's fine that you're spending the money. You just have to be able to and you have to be aware of what it is so you can offset that appropriately from a revenue standpoint. And what, what one comment I want to make that I missed out on saying earlier, the average farmer, they're long agriculture and they always will be long agriculture. The farmer is never, ever short agriculture. Hmm. Farmer's job is to take a long position and get to even, not go short, hmm. but to get to even. That, oh, I might be 100% sold on this year's crop. I'm short the market. No, you're not. You have all these hard assets on your farm that are directly exposed and influenced by the direction of the commodity markets that you live and breathe. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, uh, we've heard that forever and ever, but then take me to 2024 and we're going to get out of this. 2023, what's the, when you had your meetings and you were using your Kansas City Chiefs, I don't have my Pittsburgh Steelers cup here. Otherwise, I'd take a sip out of it. But anyway, what are you thinking when you look at uh, moving into 2024? What do we, and we're recording this in April of 23, dear listener. What do we got to know or what do we not know? Or what are, you, what are you advising thinking when you talk about situational awareness? We're not in the situation yet, but what do we all need to be aware of come six months from now? The first piece that I think is important is setting an opinion aside. Mm. Now, the opinion, myself included. You've got lots of opinions, but you know what? You you always you use those for me mostly when we're arguing. But you know what? You do a really good job of sticking it with the numbers and and the reality in your situation. And uh, you keep opinions out of your advice, I think. It, well, I mean, there's times that you can leverage an opinion, but you still got to take care of business first and foremost. Going from 2023 to 2024, just the greatest risk is that the revenue achievable by the farm is not adequate to meet a sticky overhead expense that is not going to go away anytime soon. So just, you know, I hate to use corn as an example again, but we're in this world of six to $7 corn. And who's to say that all of a sudden 450 to five, let's just use five as an example. A drop sure, okay. Six to five. On a national scale, our national average is 175 bushel an acre. So a dollar lower, $175 an acre drop in, in revenue. Find me what expenses are going to drop by 175 bucks collectively. Mm -hmm. It's a legitimate question. Equipment, God no. Insurance, yeah, maybe a little bit. Seed, no. Chemical, maybe a little bit. Fertilizer? Not, not in the first year it's not, Jared. Not in the first year it isn't, but you're saying even going down a year or two. Then it comes down to it, you're digging it, into it, your pocket. It comes down to you're yeah. digging into your working capital. You're digging. You're going to not spend money on yourself. You're going to – that's what you're talking about, right? I, I, like I mentioned here at the beginning that I think that we maybe have established a little bit of a new plateau on grain prices. Yeah. Uh, at least for a period of time, but I'm still not confident enough that the bottom end of that plateau is enough to absorb today's high price expenses. Yeah. So in other words, uh, I remember I talked to my farm operator a couple of years ago and I looked at these prices on milk. And I said, you're doing okay. He says, yeah, we're doing okay. He says, also, I'm just trading bigger numbers. He says, remember everything I buy is up, <laughs> you know, from calf medicine to when the inflation thing started, he's like from calf, from calf vaccination to my diesel bill to whatever. He says, I'm just trading bigger numbers. My margin's probably still, you know, not that great. And as we come, so the reality you're saying is, um, we don't like to talk about $5 corn going from six fifty or seven, but we're probably going to be there. We're most likely not going to be in at two or two fifty. Yeah. Take, take corn to five bucks and drop costs by 200 bucks an acre. So be it. 
or having uh, okay margins on a farm are okay. Still the same. Pieces yeah. as the calendar progresses and the farmer being long agriculture, for farming this year, they're probably farming in 2024. Mm. What do they need to be thinking about over the next several months? Oftentimes, at least again, sorry, we're focusing on corn here, but you're looking at a $7 cash market now, a 550 new crop market, and potentially a $5 market out in 2024. Mm. There's a roadblock that the farmer gets caught up in. Says, I $5 corn in 2024, that doesn't sound good. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Okay. What if it all of a sudden is five to five and a quarter, maybe even 550 with what fertilizer prices have done? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, now you get into that math equation again of what can I market? Mm-hmm. How can I control the potential destiny of my own crop insurance price? What margin protection programs can I sign up for here in an only three, four month period and maybe even lock up the price for that early? And all of a sudden, it's as simple as I'll pound my desk. Boom easy button. It's done. We're going to be profitable in 2024, no matter what happens. And so it's being prepared to understand what you have to do to do that. And I still think that that's the biggest risk for the farmer. I'm focused on a little bit of old crop. I'm focused on getting my crop planted. I'm not even thinking about selling new crop. I'm sure as heck ain't paying attention to 2024, but you know what doesn't stop in 2024? The interest bill is not going to stop going out there. Mm-hmm. The land costs aren't going to just, oh, sorry, prices are down. Yeah, so they're, probably, they're probably due for a little correction, but they usually lag, so it's going to take a couple of years. There's, there's a lag there, and that lag can be so substantial without the right steps in place. Or I shouldn't say right, but a few steps in place to mitigate that overall risk. Yeah, that's a good statement right there that you just made. By the way, I don't think that things are going to be bad for 2024. Am I wrong? No, I'm optimistic that they won't be, but I do know that the first step is we have to make good money in 2023 to be in position to make yeah. good money in 24. Yeah, you can't let it, um, what's the word I'm looking for there, Damien? Uh, you can't let it just build on you. Uh, Fester? Fester? Avalanche, whatever you want to Fester. call it. Build up, snowball, a, snowball, snowball, avalanche. Hey, are we in one of those game shows? Are we in one of those game shows? Sounds like, oh, sounds like. What's a synonym for avalanche? Snowball. Great. Well, so you can't let it snowball on it because if you lose money in 23, you might be in a position now that in 2024, you're carrying an extra debt load from the prior year and interest rates are still high. And now you're trying to dig out of a hole. Uh, last question. A banker friend of mine was out here a couple of weeks ago. We were doing a hike and uh, he says, I think there's a little bit more distress in, uh, you know, in, in, in rural route America by the way, it's an old term, rural route. Your mail used to come to rural route. So I think there's a little more uh, a little more financial distress in rural America, and he's talking about it, the agricultural, uh, than maybe the media, uh, and he's talking about the ag media, uh, understands. Is that your perception? I think there is more risk out there, yes. But that risk builds over time as some of this transfer of wealth takes place. Okay. Because you're not concerned. You're not concerned about distress. You're not, you're not concerned about pure dis- financial distress that somehow is being masked by this $6 corn that you're talking about. Uh, yes. Yes. I, I should rephrase my answer, I suppose, Damien. Or the financial stress is building if there's not something being done to offset okay. that increase in financial exposure. But if things are being done, no, there's there's the 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 idea about farmers building debt. There's good debt and there's bad debt. Uh, there's still your your standard. I hope I'm not offending anybody on this, but there's still your knuckleheads out there going and chasing new paint just to yeah. avoid Uncle Sam and being over equipped for something that they're probably never going to reasonably grow to <laughs> to make up for that. And that and that happens. Unfortunately, that happens in years like the last couple where it's let's go ahead and spend all this money to avoid any sort of tax taxable situation. And then it's sometimes that turnaround can be quite quick, Jared, where within a year or two, it's like, how did I get caught like this? Well, it was only two years ago you were spending money to avoid taxes and here you are completely in a uh, uh, low capital or what's the right word, working capital position. So I can see that. I don't. I don't think that things are uh, that bad. He, I just thought that was interesting. No, told me no. that there was a little bit more distress. It's a good time to be in agriculture. 
it's a very good time to be in agriculture. It's just By the way, so you're going to get next time we talk to you is going to be when we have to interpret all the insurance programs. And that might be if we have some weather problems this summer or fall when we've got to actually use them. And by then you'll be a, are you going to be a full-blown insurance agency by summer, fall? Yeah, it should be. But uh, here's, here's my one comment. I'm going to make people remember 2019. 2019, our spring insurance price was four bucks. Before we even got on a planner, it was 360. We dropped 10%. Mm-hmm. By the middle of June, it was 470 because mm-hmm. planting was so slow. Mm-hmm. The American producers chasing a carrot, plant, 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 plant. And then all of a sudden they got done planting the spray and the corn was back below four bucks. Mm-hmm. The important piece there is insurance price four bucks. I planted a crop. I'm now guaranteed bushels and I have the capability, every capability to reprice those guaranteed bushels at a higher level on my own instead of waiting on federal crop insurance to do it for me. Okay, so your point your point is it, prices will continue to move during the se- depending on what the season looks like and you can take advantage of that. You can move your own price to a more favorable position by what's going on seasonally. You, you can improve your worst case situation dramatically. There's ways of going about it. Next time you come on, next time you come on, we're going to talk about insurance and we'll be probably somewhere in the late summer, fall when we actually see uh, these scenarios playing out. If somebody wants to learn more about this, obviously we, we, we don't cover these things all that much here at Cutting the Curve, but we're going to do more of it because I really believe that we, we do our listeners a service by making sure we talk about the financial and the business side of this. Again, farming's a lifestyle and a legacy, but if the if the place if the place gets put up for foreclosure auction, there's no lifestyle and there's certainly held no no legacy. So if somebody wants to find you, where do they find you? Uh phone is obviously the easiest, 402-680-1744. And obviously, since this is an extreme ag um group, uh I am on that member page on Facebook, so you can find me there. Uh or just ask around, ask you, ask Kelly, whoever. Perfect. We know how to find you. His name is Jared Creed. Until next time, I'm David Mason, and this is Extreme Ash Cutting the Curve. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cutting the Curve. For more insights and information that you can apply to your farming operation, visit ExtremeAg.farm. Are your crops stressed out? Ag Explorer has you covered with a full line of products designed to reduce crop stress and improve yields. Check out agexplore.com and start protecting your yields and profits.